0: Good morning, Journey. Hey, the ushers have told me we're like squeezing towards the back and they're afraid if more people come in that it might be hard to get them. So if there's a seat between you and the person next to you, I'm going to ask you maybe just to nudge in one. And listen, if you're single and the person you're scooting towards is good looking, just ask them what they're doing tomorrow. It's a day off. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll get a date at Journey Church International today. You never, never know. Um, hey, listen, when I was... Uh, When I was younger, I had a bad experience that resurfaces, not not like one that makes me pass out, but one that resurfaces mentally every year at our house, because every spring at our house, we have a fashion show. And the purpose of the fashion show is not to figure out what looks good, but it's to figure out what looks bad. Because my dad and I, those of you who have been around any amount of time, you know my dad, is, he's my best friend. He was the best man in my wedding. Um, you know, he, he, I admire him more than anyone else in life. And I love sports, and that's kind of a common thing dad and I share. And growing up, dad and I kind of made a bucket list of sports stuff we would like to do when we were older. Every year we'd go on vacation the exact same week and we would watch Wimbledon together, the tennis tournament from England. And we would say, man, one day, maybe one day, we'll go and watch Wimbledon together. We'd watch the Masters tournament, which was usually right around Easter every year. And we'd say, man, maybe one day we'll get down to Augusta. And one of the things we've talked about doing that we've actually done now, eight years in a row, is we always said, man, wouldn't it be cool to go to spring training and to watch baseball, see a bunch of different teams and play golf someplace warm when it's cold in Southern Ohio where I grew up. And we always talked about getting away to spring training to watch baseball and play golf. And eight years ago, we started doing that. And every year now for the past eight years in March, mom and dad fly down from Chicago. We fly out from Kansas City, we meet in Phoenix and we watch baseball and play golf for a week. And what precedes that week is kind of the fashion show at the Newsome household because Danielle needs to determine which of the kids' summer clothes still fits because they haven't worn them since like early August or September. Now it's March, so she wants to know what fits, what doesn't fit. Do we need to go shopping and buy the kids any new clothes? Um, and, and that gives me flashbacks to my past because I grew up in a family with two educators. Um, we weren't poor, we weren't rich. I wouldn't call my mom and dad frugal, but I would call them thrifty. And we kind of had the approach that any winter clothes with a pair of scissors can become summer clothes. Like you you know you don't really need to buy clothes seasonally you just you just kind of shape them as as you go. Maybe you had a similar experience growing up. So I go to mom and dad and say, hey you know my, my sweatshirt is like it doesn't go all the way down anymore. Um, my arms, and they, they would just laugh, say, that's not a sweatshirt, that's a t-shirt now, and they would just cut it, and all of a sudden, it would be a t-shirt. Now, what they didn't take into account is that it got short at the sleeves and kind of the stomach at the same time, so, like, I was like, okay, well, my t-shirt now doesn't cover my stomach, and I remember, you know, them saying, well, that'll be popular one day, and sure enough, it, you know, it was, so, I, you know, I'd run around, like, with these halter tops all summer, and, like, my jeans would, my jeans would get too short, and I'd go in, you know, like, like if you have a pair of jeans, like, when you sit down, they come almost up to your knee and you're not European and they're not caprice, It's like, you know, my, like my jeans are a little too short. Like those aren't jeans, those are shorts. And with a pair of scissors, jeans could become shorts, except The jeans that were too short were usually starting to get a little too tight around like my waist and my rear end as well. So I'd say, okay, like I understand they're shorts now, but I don't think I can button them. And I remember my dad saying, well, that you know, don't worry about that. Nobody's going to see that and say, well, yeah, yeah, they will because my shirt doesn't come down past my (laughs) belly button. It's going to be it's going to be very uncomfortable for me. Like, could we just like could we just buy some shorts? Could we buy a t-shirt instead of making them? I mean, could we like could we go do that? And I remember them saying, we, you know, we can, we can make them or you can have your sisters hand-me-downs. And I was like, well, I'm not wearing the culottes and the kids again, because that was embarrassing um, last summer. So I guess just, you know, cut them off and throw in a rat tail while you're there. And we, you know, we'll just like, I'll just, I'll be that guy, you know, I'll just be that kid. So when, so when my kids are trying on their clothes, like if anything is even a little bit too small. I'm like, get in the car. We're, like, we're going shopping. Like, we got to get in the car because all I can see is the eight-year-old me riding around in my, like, sweatshirt sports bra on Daisy Dukes. And, you know, it's like, that was, <laughs> that was embarrassing. Like, I, I, that's, that's, that wasn't a good look for, for me or any young man, really. Um, so as, as we grew, our clothes didn't fit. And as we stepped into the book of Acts last week in Acts chapter six, what we see is a growing church whose clothes don't fit anymore. In Acts chapter six, we see that the ministries don't fit the church anymore. And this church that was doing so much good for so many people has begun to fail people simply because too many people were coming and not enough people were helping. And we kind of hit a snag in the church in Acts chapter six Because the ministries, the ministers, the programs, it didn't fit the amount of people coming anymore. So we see last week this major shift. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to it online, podcast it. We see a major shift in ministry in the church. And here's what we learned last week that continues this week. Anybody who saw a need and could help meet that need was welcome to join the ministry team. This was not the philosophy of Old Testament ministry for thousands of years. But in the New Testament, they came to the Apostle Peter and they said, hey, as pastors, y'all are missing some really important things here. And the pastor said, you know what? We're right. Thank you for pointing that out to us. However, we can't do all that. So you identified it. Why don't you figure it out and why, why don't you do it? And it said this idea thrilled the people that they were able to help. And we saw some people that jumped in and began to help in a major, major way. Last week, we challenged the people at our church to jump in and help. And we had 31 people who are not yet engaged in volunteering who said, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll do something. The, the name of our series is Do Something. They said, I'll, I'll do something. And 31 people said in June... I'll do something. I'll try to do this at least one time. We'll see if I like it. We'll see if I'm any good at it. And we'll keep moving forward. But we had some people who said, I want to sign up to volunteer. Now, one of the cool things we're learning in this series is volunteering helps people who are going to come. It's going to help people who need ministry. But volunteering changes the heart of the volunteer usually more than the heart of the person being served. We've been introducing some of our volunteers to you through video today. You're gonna meet Don and Elena and Tom and hear how leaning in to help meet a need actually changed them. So take a look at this short video. My name is Don and I serve as a greeter and on campus support. When I first started volunteering at JCI, I was new in my walk with Jesus. I've since grown into a much mature Christian Where I believe that we may not all have the gift of preaching, I feel a lot of us have the gift to serve. When I'm serving at JCI, I feel closer to God, and I feel like I'm doing my part to reach the unsaved and those far from God. My name's Elena, and I serve in the student ministry. Being a youth leader has changed my heart in such a deep way. Um, Through the teens, God has shown me it's not about what you say and what you preach, but how you live, um, and especially how you love them i become uh, more purposeful in my obedience and my relationship with Jesus, knowing that through me, they see Him. My name is Tom, and I serve in Jacobs. God has changed my life through serving. I feel my heart is different, but better. Recently God has taught me a great lesson to be a better person, a better father, and a better husband. In the Bible, God promises love and commitment. I have begun to base everything in my life off of love and commitment. Now, here's the cool thing. Had the church in Acts, in Acts chapter 6, not allowed anyone to serve, you wouldn't have heard those three people say those three things. But because God's church is for everyone who wants to do something, and anyone can do something, we see that God's church is having huge impact on people. But in order for that to happen, people had to break tradition. And I want to talk to you today about breaking tradition. If you haven't already, pull out the sermon notes in your bulletin so you can follow along. Because here's a line that I want to share with you today. It's not on your sermon notes, but I want you to hear this. Before we dig into Acts chapter 6, I feel like somebody needs to hear what I'm getting ready to say. Some things that have always just been that way don't have to stay that way in your life. Let me say that again. Some things that have always just been that way don't have to just stay that way If you're willing to work hard to break tradition, and I'm not just talking about ministry, I'm talking about your marriages. Some of you have resigned yourself to the fact that you just don't have a good marriage, just kind of always been that way, but it's been 20 years, and and why change now? Just because things have been that way doesn't mean they have to stay that way. For some of you, it's your emotional health. You've gone through some things, and you wake up every day tired, and you wake up every day sad, and you wake up every day discouraged, and you've you've not even given any hope recently to the thought that that'll ever change. That's just it's the way it's always been. It's the way it's always going to be. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe you've got some fractured relationships, some of your deepest relationships from high school or college, or some family relationship that you have that is at a point of such strain and it's been at a point of such strain for so long that you're thinking it's just, this is just now the way it is. And I guess this is just the way it's going to be. Maybe for you it's relational pain and a lack of trust from broken relationships. Maybe someone has hurt you. And you've said, because that's the way it is, I'll never trust my heart to anyone else. Because that's the way it's been in my life, I'll never walk into a relationship and be vulnerable again. And it may be hurting your second or third marriage or your current relationship right now because what always has been, you think always will be. Maybe it's your outlook on life. Maybe you've come through a tough stretch lately. You've lost your job or you've seen some people in your life or good people, get sick, or you've watched some friends go through some hardship and you wake up every day waiting on something to go wrong instead of something to go right because that's just the way that it's always been. Or maybe it's your addictions and your struggles and you've resigned yourself to the fact that you were born to struggle with something your entire life and you really don't even have a desire to fix it anymore. It's just the way it's always been, but it's not the way it always has to be. Today, I wanna to talk to you about breaking traditions. I wanna give you hope today That just because things have always been that way doesn't mean they have to stay that way. I read an article this week about a man from Britain named Steve Easton. That's one of the coolest things that I've read this week. Steve Easton was playing like Nerf darts with his brothers and some of his relatives, like those little darts right there when he was seven years old. And one of his relatives got too close and they shot him in the face. And the dart went up in his nose. And he was able to pull the dart out of his nose but the little suction cup on the end of the dart that was supposed to make it stick on the window or a mirror when you shot it, they couldn't ever find it. And they didn't know what had happened to the dart. And for 44 years, Steve Easton struggled with sinus trouble, and headaches and migraines. And a few weeks ago, he caught hay fever and just started sneezing over and over and over and over. And after 44 years, Steve Easton sneezed out this little <laughs> suction cup that had been on the end of a dart that had been stuck up in his sinus cavity for four and a half decades. I read that story this week and I thought, that's the most disgusting and awesome story that I have ever (laughs) heard. God, please show me how to use that in a sermon because I would like to share that with the people. And God showed me an idea. So here's the segue. Some of you, (laughs) have had some things stuck in your life for the last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. See how I did that? That's, that's good preaching right there. <laughs> I don't know if it's stuck in your sinus cavity. But some of us, we get some things stuck in our life and we just decide it's always gonna be that way. And God wants you to know today, you can break tradition. Your bad marriage can be better. Your, your children who are away from God can come back to God. The, the rough patch you've gone through can get better. God still does love you. God wants you to know today. Just because all we, things have always been that way doesn't mean that things always have to stay that way. And in Acts chapter six, we see the church doing ministry in a brand new way. If you have your Bible, go to Acts chapter six. If you don't have a Bible, fire up your iPhone, get the Bible app so you can follow along with us there, or your tablet. Our ushers have Bibles that you can use. They're going to come down the aisle. If you need a Bible today, wave at them. We've given away more than eight hundred since our church started three and a half years ago, just like this. If you need a Bible today and you don't have one, just put your name in this one and keep it, it's yours to have, our gift to you, thanks for being a part of what we're doing, and in Acts chapter 6, we meet a na- man named Stephen, Stephen was one of the seven people who when the people came to the pastors and said, you're missing this area in the church, they said, you're right, fix it, and they said, find some people who can help, Stephen was one of the seven who got chosen to help, and he leaned into doing something, but this upset the people in the church that hadn't done it this way before, so in Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, we see, we see this unfold. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen. They brought him before the Sanhedrin. That's kind of their ruling council, their Supreme Court. And they produced false witnesses who testified this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. All of us who have kids have seen that face on our children when they're sleeping. And then they wake up and it changes and they don't look so angelic anymore. But in Acts chapter 6 verses 8 through 15, we we learn some pretty cool things from this church in the book of Acts that we can apply not just to our church, but to our lives personally. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of good truth in today's Bible study. Here's the first thing that I want you to see. People serving people got people's attention. I know I put people three times in that line. It's because people are the most important things in God's church. People, serving people, got people's attention. Look at verse 8. It says, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. I read that this week, and I could not find in scripture what the Bible was talking about. I went to all my scholarly commentaries. I read before Acts. I read a little bit after Acts. And nowhere in Scripture do we see Stephen do anything that we would consider supernatural. He doesn't do anything that we would consider miraculous. He did something that got the attention of people that, that they thought was awesome, but the Bible doesn't tell us what it was, at least in our perspective, because we think signs and wonder has to, I mean, has, has to be some huge It tells us what Stephen did. We just don't kind of see that as a sign and a wonder. Stephen's ministry, according to Acts 6, here's the only thing we know that he did, was to make sure that Greek-speaking, Greek-cultured widows were being fed. That's what he did. That was his job. That was his ministry. That's the only thing in the Bible we find out that he did for anyone Yet in verse 8, he's being described as performing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, let me give you a little background on what Stephen would have done because, because it would have been outside the box. Several years before Stephen's time, there was a great diaspora, a great dispersion of Jews from Israel. They ran all the Jews out of Israel. And most of the Jews went and lived in Italy, went and lived in Greece, went and lived in northern Africa. This is Alexandria area you're talking about. But every year, they would come back once a year, either at Passover or Pentecost, They would come back and they would make a trip back to Israel. On Pentecost, just a few weeks earlier, God's Spirit had fallen on the church, and we found out some people from Greece and from Italy had actually become Christians, and apparently some of them stayed. They stayed there. They spoke a different language, they wouldn't have been raised in Israel, they would have looked radically different. They would have dressed differently. They would have had a different culture. They would have had a different set of beliefs. They would have had different haircuts. They would have had different clothes. I mean, these people would have stood out like a sore thumb in Israel. And yet the church embraced different and said, we're going to try to minister well to them. And they put Stephen, this young Jewish guy who probably didn't know anyone from Greece or Italy in charge of this, and his ministry was to love people who weren't like him and to serve people who weren't like him and to give his life to make sure that people he probably would never cross paths with were taken care of. And is it possible that just people seeing the church love like that to them seemed miraculous? You know, when we look at Stephen and we look at the early church, we see that Jesus was the common denominator of why people loved each other in the early church. It wasn't culture, it wasn't country, it wasn't background, it wasn't ethnicity, it was people serving people because they loved Jesus and that was the driving force of why they wanted to serve people. You know, Jesus' church, in Jesus' church, that's the way things are still supposed to be. We're supposed to first and foremost serve Jesus and because we serve Jesus, we serve others who may have nothing in common with us. Let me show you how that happens in our church. There are some Democrats sitting in this service today who had a Republican set up your chair this morning at 6 a.m. That if you were at work with, you, you'd you have an argument. You hate each other on Facebook. Yet in the context when Jesus comes first, you're serving. There's some Republicans sitting in this service today and there may be a Democrat watching your baby in the nursery talking to him about Hillary Clinton. Like right, like right now as, as, as we speak. <laughs> Could happen. Probably not. I hope not. I hope not. I hope we're apolitical, at least preschool going under. Um, you know, <laughs> it's probably not. But, but there's some people serving people today who, who might not ever get along outside the church. I promise you we got some people working with our students, our 7th through 12th graders, who are like, well, what's a Democrat and a Republican? Like, you know, they're, they're not even in that. They just, they want to vote for millennial. They don't even know what that means. And, and, and they're serving because it's not important here. Jesus is important here. And when we see this early church, people serving people got people's attention. It doesn't appear that Stephen did anything supernatural other than love and serve people who maybe weren't just like him. Which leads me to this question. Is it possible that simply helping someone can be seen as a great wonder or a sign to those who don't know Jesus yet? I would say yes. Last week in Alabama, Ava Falk took her five-year-old son, Josiah, to the Waffle House for dinner. Perhaps you've heard the story. And while they were sitting in Waffle House eating dinner, Josiah noticed a man standing outside Waffle House with a bicycle and a bag full of clothes. Very dirty. He started asking his mom questions about the man. Who's he? Why is he out there? Why doesn't he come inside? Why is he dirty? Why is he on a bike? Why does he got a bag of clothes? And she tried to explain to him that this man was homeless. He probably didn't have anything. And Josiah said, well, we should buy him something to eat. So the mom said, okay. She went outside, invited the man in. He came inside. And she told him, we'll buy you a meal. He sat down. No one waited on him. So little Josiah went and got him a menu, took it to his table, gave it to him. And the mom said, order anything you want. He started ordering something that was inexpensive. And she said, no, get whatever you want. She said, well, I really like a cheeseburger. Do you care if I get bacon on it? She said, get as much bacon as you want. So he ordered his cheeseburger. They delivered the cheeseburger to him. And right as he was getting ready to eat, Five-year-old Josiah walked up to his table and said, wait, wait, don't eat yet. And I'll pick up the story now from the news. Five-year-old Josiah said, I wanted to say the blessing with him. So with 11 other people staring at them, you say, why 11? Because it was Waffle House. Um, yeah, I was like, <laughs> why? I mean, I, it's okay. I like Waffle House. But with 11 people staring at him, Josiah started to sing, God, our father, God, our father, we thank you. We thank you for our many blessings, for our many blessings. Amen, amen. His mom said, the man cried. I cried. Everyone was crying. She went on to say, you never know who the angel on earth will be or when an opportunity comes that you should not walk away from. Watching my son touch the 11 people in that waffle house tonight will forever be one of the greatest accomplishments as a parent that I'll ever get to witness. Did you see what she called her son? She called him an angel. Anybody else today that's been called an angel by onlookers? He didn't do anything miraculous, or or maybe he did. He was just a kid who wanted to help someone. But is it possible that by simply helping someone, the outside world says there's something miraculous going on there. There's something supernatural in their heart that this total stranger would want to help somebody else, or people in this church would want to serve people in the community they'll never get to meet. You know, Jesus said that two things in life are more important than everything else in Matthew 22 when he was asked, hey, what's the most important thing? He said, love God and love people. Those are the two most important things in life. Love God, love people. You see, if you will love God, something supernatural will happen inside of you. And if you love people, people will see a supernatural touch from your life in the lives of others. And here's the fact, people helping people, it gets people's attention and they lean in. Unfortunately, number two, people are opposed to changing the way it's always been done. I don't know if you've noticed that yet in your life. People are opposed to changing the way it's always been done. Look at verses nine through 14. It says, opposition arose. You need to underline those words. Opposition arose. Now, let me say this to you before we continue in the text. Dad, if you're in here today and you're a husband and you're a father, and you make a renewed commitment to Jesus, and you're the first one in your family to do it, you're probably going to get some opposition from your wife and from your kids. They're going to think you've lost your mind wanting to go to church wanting to serve, wanting to give in the offering, wanting to stop some of the things you used, to, you used to do, wanting to change and become a better man, opposition will arise from inside your house or outside your house. If you're a mom and you're the one who gets your first foot in the door spiritually, you're gonna get some opposition from your husband. If he's not where you are spiritually, it's going to be difficult. If you're a teenager, our teenagers are going to camp next week. Our teenagers, some of them are going to have some pretty cool things happen in their heart, and they're going to come back from camp, different people, and they're going to get some opposition from their friends immediately, and sometimes very loudly. You see, one of the principles of spiritual growth is that you really don't grow spiritually without having to move through opposition, so we need to be able to anticipate it so we can move through it. But it says in verse 9, opposition arose from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene, Alexandria, as well as the provinces, provinces of Cilicia and Asia. And they began to argue with Stephen, but they couldn't stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some of the men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen. They brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs. There it is, underline those three words. Change customs the customs that Moses handed down to us. How dare Jesus and Stephen and the disciples in the church, how dare they try to change what had always been status quo in the church? Have you ever had to deal with somebody who's uncomfortable with change? You know, probably one of the godliest ladies I know um, is my mom. She's a pastor's daughter. My grandpa's been a pastor for more than 60 years. She was raised in very traditional church. My mom has been to our church, I bet more than a dozen times, and she still refuses to wear jeans and struggles that I preach in jeans. And you, you'll be able to tell if my mom is here, I usually will wear a tie just to humor her so she thinks at least the top half of me is spiritual because it's like she just, she just, she just doesn't do that. You don't wear jeans in church. We're saying, Christian, Jesus never wore jeans. I'm like, mom, he probably wore a dress. Like, like, they didn't have jeans in his. Is that what you wanted me to wear, culottes? I, you know, and then I get confused in my head. And it's like, you know, that things can change. Like, you know, it, doesn't, it really doesn't matter what we wear to church, mom. But we do this too. I remember the first youth camp I was at when my son was doing the Bible on his phone instead of his Bible. And I thought he was just playing on his phone. I thought he was playing games and texting. And like, I'm yelling at him, get off your phone. And he's like, it's the Bible. And I'm like, it's a, get off your phone. He's like, it's a Bible. And he's over there tapping stuff on it. So I took it from, I'm like, give me your phone. Took his phone. Sure enough, it's not only the Bible, but he had highlighted a verse. And on another screen, he was taking notes. And I thought, I am the worst dad in the world. I'm like, here's your phone Bible. You know, however that works, it's like, struggle with changing, with changing customs when it's not the way it used to always be. But here's the thought of Acts chapter 6. When the place and the customs become more important than the purpose of the church, my gosh, we've lost sight of God's mission. When the place where you do church or the way that church has always been done become more important than the purpose of the church, which is people and ministry to people. We've lost sight against God's mission. And when you listen to these folks from the synagogue of the freedmen speak, Stephen had spoken against three things that really upset them. Against Moses and the law, this would have been the Old Testament's law and its requirements to connect to God. Stephen would have very correctly, because he'd heard the message of Jesus, said that all these Old Testament requirements, everyone who tries to be perfect will never be perfect. You have to connect through God, through Jesus, not through the law. They would say, well, 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 you can't change. For 2,000 years, we've been telling people they gotta be perfect. So you say, yeah, but that never worked. And now Jesus is here. They didn't like that. They they spoke against this holy place, that would have been the temple in Jerusalem, which would have been the very center of religious life for thousands of years, where they had to come to be in the presence of God. Now the presence of God was inside people, not inside the temple, and the, the synagogue of the freedmen didn't like that. And then they said the customs that Moses handed down. This would have been Judaism in its prescribed form. Even as we go throughout Acts, we see people saying, you can't become a Christian unless you become Jewish first. You have to follow all of Judaism, then you can follow Jesus. And Stephen and his buddies were saying, no, 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 that's not the way it is. It's Jesus. It's Jesus first. You see, the church's message that following Jesus was all that you needed to do, it did indeed devalue the importance of the above things as of utmost importance spiritually. It didn't devalue connecting to God. It did not devalue spiritual life. It did, not, it did not take away new life, but it devalued some of the customs. Some of the customs were changing. What had been set up to point people to Jesus had done its job, and now we wanted to follow Jesus. And they said, wait a minute, that's not the way we've done it before. But Stephen's message was it's about more than Moses. It's about more than the law. It's about more than this place. It's about more than the customs. It's about people and ministering to People. And this is how we have to minister to people. And we see that Stephen and the leaders in the early church, they fought and they died to decentralize ministry so they could maximize ministry. You see, before Jesus, you had to go to Jerusalem. You had to go to the temple. You had to go on three certain days a year. You had to have somebody else go talk to God for you. After that, the church said, you don't have to do that anymore. God can meet you where you are. You don't have to talk to any priest. We're all priests to God, which means we can connect to God just through your heart and through your spirit. God lives in you, not in Jerusalem anymore. And this was a struggle for people, but the church was willing, the church leaders were willing to die to get this point across. So in Acts chapter 7, they pulled in Stephen, and they said, defend yourself. And he did. He started in Acts 7, verse 1. I won't read it to you, but he took 43 verses to start in Genesis. And he said, in the beginning, God created. And he kind of walked through how God had worked for thousands of years, but in every step, pointing people to Jesus. And then in verse 44, he started preaching. I mean, like, started preaching, like started letting it rip. I don't know if you've ever been to like an old holy roller church or you've been to an old Pentecostal church, but I mean, he started preaching like he was dabbing his brow with his handkerchief. He was pointing his finger. He was stomping his foot. He may have thrown his Bible. I mean, he started preaching hellfire and brimstone at these people telling them you have missed the point of connecting to God. He says, it's not about the place. It's about the person of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 7, we pick up his dialogue talking about how places are becoming less important so we can connect to Jesus. And he said, our ancestors, Acts seven forty four, had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he'd seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nation's God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it's actually Solomon that built the house for him. However, and here he goes, man. However, the most high God does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house are you going to build for me? Says the Lord. Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Verse 51, you stiff necked people. This is like cussing someone out 2,000 years ago. I mean, he he just called them a pretty bad word from the Old Testament era. You stiff necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised, which means they've never been spiritually opened. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but haven't obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said... I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his killing. Listen, Stephen died defending his right the church is right, and Jesus' message, that everybody who followed Jesus could do something for God and others. Stephen died so that people like you and me could have a chance to do ministry if we saw a need that needed to be met. And what's so interesting, he died at the feet of a man named Saul, who would later become a man named Paul. He would change his name from Saul, which is a Hebrew name, to Paul, which is kind of a Greek name because he ministered more to Gentiles than to Jews. But this man who was standing there watching Stephen being killed, he witnessed somebody who was so passionate about helping other people that he was willing to die. and It it had to do something in his life. It had to. Because later when the Apostle Paul finally became a Christian and gave his life to Jesus, the dominant message of the New Testament that Saul, or we could say Paul, same person, the dominant message in the New Testament, according to Paul, was what Stephen died at his feet to protect. The Christians are supposed to serve. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, he said, For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. Those words mean becoming Christians or became Christians. We become Christians to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul, who would watch Stephen die because Stephen said, we're all supposed to be out helping people. It's not about Jerusalem and this place and Judaism anymore. It's about helping people and ministering to people. Saul, who watched him die because he believed in that so much, would later die for the exact same reason, because he wanted to see the church reach as many people as possible. And he said the way that that happens is when people become Christians, they start doing stuff. They start serving Listen, if you're a Christian, I said this last week, you've been created to do something for Jesus, according to Ephesians 2.10. If you're a Christian, you are created to do something for Jesus. And if you're not doing anything yet, it's time to take your next step in this spiritual development. And some of you will sit and you will listen and you will hear this and you'll say, man, that's, that's great biblical truth and you'll do nothing. Why? Because it's just always been that way. You've just always kind of come to church, you're giving your offering, get in, get out, Maybe invite someone every now and then, go to Sunday school, but you've never really served. Why? Because, just because you just never really have. It's not because not you don't like it, not because you had a bad experience. You just, you just have never done that. But it's time to break tradition and live the church life that Jesus wants us to live, not the church life we've always lived. Or perhaps you're here, and the reason you haven't served is because you don't think you have anything to offer the church. You just don't think you're good at anything. You think you've done so much wrong in your past life that God could never use someone like you. Or maybe you're here because at your old church, they, just, they, they let you serve until you were just dead spiritually. And you're here just trying to recover and recoup because at your old church, you never even got to go to church. You showed up, you started serving, and you were the last one gone. And you thought, man, I didn't hear a song. I didn't have anyone say hi to me. I, I didn't even get to hear the message today. And, and you're here because you're just trying to rest. But Jesus has created you and He's filled you and He's with you so you can do something. And the Bible says if Jesus is in your life, you're going to succeed in what He's calling you to do. Who said that? The Apostle John in 1 John 4:4. John said, You dear children are from God and you've overcome them. He's talking about the difficult things in the world. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. If you're a Christian, Jesus is in you. And Jesus is greater than your fears. He's greater than your insecurities. He's greater than your past. He's greater than your mistakes. He's greater than your ability. If Jesus is in you, you have been created to do something, and you will do it well when you finally lean into that. And we said last week, as we challenged the people in our church to do something, nobody can do everything, but everyone can do something. Nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something, whether you're a teenager to a senior citizen, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. And if you're a part of our church, we want you to be an active part of our church, and we want you to help us serve the people who come here and the people who will come later in our community. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask every one of you right now to reach into your bulletin and pull out this form that says do something at the top and has these six check boxes on the side. Because this is your chance to say, okay, Christian, I hear what you're saying. I've never done this before. Traditionally, this is not how it's always been, but I I understand it can be different moving forward. Here's what we're asking people to do by checking this form. We're asking you to commit to serve one time in the month of June, just to do something one time in the month of June. And maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't like it, but we're asking you to have a realization that God has created you to do something. We've got some things you can do to help people in our community see Jesus. Jesus. Now, who's this not for? If this is like your very first Sunday ever here, we'd love for you next Sunday to come be a greeter. You can do that at our church. But if you're brand new and you're like, man, I don't even know if I'm gonna go to church here yet, this is not for you. If you've been here a little while, but the reason you're here is because you're recuperating from burnout in past ministry, it's not from you. You just sit and wait till you're ready. God will tell your spirit when it's time to reengage. But if you're here and you come to church a couple times a month and you're, you consider this your church, but you've not really done anything yet, we want you to take your next step. So here's what I want you to do. One, do not check more than two things on this sheet because you're going to have like six people call you this week and that would annoy you and us having to do that. So pick one, two at the most, where you say, I think maybe I could be effective there. Give us your name, your email address, your phone number. If you did this last week, you don't have to do this again. If, you serve every, if you're serving on a ministry team right now, you don't have to do this right now. But for the new folks who God wants to engage, because listen, We said last week, healthy churches grow. Our clothes next year aren't going to fit if more people keep coming unless we keep expanding how we can dress our church in good ministry with people. Here's some areas. General administration, just admin stuff during the week, creating and printing out stuff like this, helping at the offices, usually on Wednesday, Thursdays. If you say, I... I work from home or I don't work during the day, um, or I have some time during the day, that may be what you want to do. Not, you know, I don't really like being around people, but I can help with that stuff. Campus support is setting up and tearing down everything in our church. We don't ask people to do that. We try not to ask people to do that more than twice a month. Family ministry is anything birth through senior high. If you don't mind watching kids, teaching kids, overseeing games, hanging out with students, Guest services is just anything that makes our guests feel welcome from our parking guys to our greeters, to the people who set up the coffee, to the ushers who pass out stuff. They're just people who make guests feel welcome. Creative arts is anything you see happen on this stage or back at that production table. Sound, lights, computers, the graphic type stuff. If you're a creative person taking pictures, taking video, um, we can use you. And then next steps are people who are pretty passionate about discipleship. Next steps are the people who say, I want to help people grow spiritually. I want to answer spiritual questions. I have a desire to take people from where they are to where they need to be. We've got a spot for you in our next steps ministry. But here's what we believe. We believe God loves our community. Not only those who are in our church, but we believe God loves every beating heart in Lee Summit, Missouri, in Cass County, Missouri on the Kansas side, in Jackson County, in Cass County. We believe God knows and loves every beating heart. And he wants to reach all of them. And many of them are somehow gonna find their way through friends or families or signs or mailers or whatever. Their kids are gonna find their way here. And if we don't have clothes big enough for them when they come here, they might might feel a little uncomfortable at our church because we don't have room for their kids. We don't have a small group that they can go to, or we don't have a chair that they can sit in. And the way we try to stay ahead of growth that we pray will come is to just keep expanding the number of people who are doing something so that others come. We have great ministry prepared for them. But in order for that to happen, we need everyone to do something. And that's our prayer for you today. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, really grateful for what we learned today from Stephen and grateful that people like Stephen and later on Paul were willing to die for this message that everyone in the church can do something, should do something, and that Christianity is not a come to us and we'll get ready for you, but Christianity is we're gonna come to you. Anywhere and everywhere, we're gonna, we're gonna come to where you are and we're, and we're gonna be prepared to do something in your life. God, I pray for every beating heart, in Jackson County, Cass County, Johnson County, Miami County, those from outside those areas that are sitting here today, because I know that you loved them. I know you sent Jesus to die for them. And God, you are working today still to build your church so that people can come and find Jesus and connect to you through Jesus. But it takes all of us doing something for that to happen well pray for the teenagers and the men and the women at our church who are not yet engaged in doing something. Pray that you'll help them overcome their fears. Pray that you'll help them overcome their past experiences. Pray that you'll help them overcome a tradition that says, I go to church, but I've never done anything. And I pray that you'll help them to lean in today to say, I'll do something. I'm, I'm willing. I'll do something. And then like Don and Elena and Tom, I pray that you'll do more in their life than they ever do for anyone else because they discover how you've shaped them to impact others. Pray for every form that will be turned in today and every phone call that will be made in the next week or two and every person that will serve one time in June, that it just grabs their soul and makes their heart beat a little faster spiritually so they know I'm alive and doing what Jesus is calling me to do. And then with heads bowed and eyes closed, I I just, I wanna try to move totally away from serving and I just wanna talk to those of you who came in here today sad about your life and the way that it's going and even more sadly resolved that it's just the way it is and it's never gonna change. Don't believe that lie. Just because something's always been that way doesn't mean something has to remain that way. Your marriage has hope with Jesus. Your teenagers have hope with Jesus. Your career and your health have hope with Jesus. Your emotions have hope with Jesus. Your current relationships and future relationships have hope with Jesus. Your outlook on life can be filled with hope because of Jesus. This is a church that says you've got to get past your past and start living for your future. And just because it's always been that way doesn't mean it always will be that way. If you're here today and you need a change. Would you write where you're sitting? Would you just tell Jesus that? You don't have to pray out loud. You don't even have to move your lips, but would you just in your spirit communicate to a God who's listening, to a God who's not stuck in Jerusalem, but who's here in the house today? And would you just say, God, I don't want my marriage to be the way it's always been. God, I don't want my kids to be the way they've always been. God, I don't want my heart to remain broken like it is now. God, I don't want my career to continue on this arc. God, I don't wanna be owned by this addiction the rest of my life. God, I don't wanna wake up to discouragement every day. God, I need a change in my life. Would you just tell God where you are today that you want to break the traditions of your life and you want to get the garbage that you thought could never get out of your life, out of your system so that life could become brand new? Because God doesn't leave things the way he finds them. He improves them. He makes them better. And the driving passion of our God today is to take your life to the next level spiritually. Just because it's always been that way doesn't mean it always has to be that way. It can change if you lean into Jesus today. Would you commit in your heart to take one step towards Jesus today if you need him to do something for you? Because God says, if you return to me, I'll return to you, which means God matches every step. If you take a step towards God, he takes a step towards you. Would you commit to take a step towards God this week? Maybe it means coming back to church next week. Maybe it means reading your Bible this week. Maybe it means turning back to that Christian radio station. Maybe it means having a difficult conversation. Maybe it means confessing a sin. But if you will take one step towards Jesus today, I believe God will take a massive step towards you and you're gonna meet in the middle somewhere very soon in the future. God, I pray for the men and women and the teenagers in our church that need to break tradition, that need change. And God, I pray for our church as an organization. Because, Lord, we, we want you to continue to bring us people that need Jesus. But we want to always make sure we've got the clothes stocked in the closet for that next stage of growth. We want to make sure that we are, we are a church that has a culture that we're all in and we all do something, and we're always ready for more. But that takes everyone doing something. No one can do everything. Everyone can do something. Jesus, transform our people in our congregation through this series. Do something in us. Then let us do something in others. Let people see you and us and describe what's happening in our church as miraculous, as wonderful. Not because we've done anything supernatural, but because we just have done what Jesus told us to do. God, if you'll do that for us, we'll keep pointing people to you. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said,